Launching without a clear window was as risky as merging onto a freeway blindfolded. Skye studied the image displayed on the screen before her, a graphical depiction of the Earth as seen from space looking down at the northern Pacific. Leaning back, she watched as two arcing lines flew over the rendered globe. The first line in yellow sprang from a point in central China and sped on a southwesterly course. It had already passed over Taiwan, doubtless as much a political statement as a requirement of physics, and was fast approaching the Philippines. A dot at the leading end marked the current location of Zhenzhou 7. Another dot, a bright red one at the end of the second line, marked the position of an object already in orbit, circling the Earth's poles. Sky estimated her satellite was about 1,000 miles west of San Francisco, racing due south. She mentally extrapolated the two paths and predicted the Chinese spacecraft would be in range somewhere over French Polynesia. From behind her desk, Skye sat pensively watching the monitor. The desk was the largest piece of furniture in her office, a massive assemblage of hand-carved wood that had belonged to her father and to his father before him. She called the desk the Titanic, not only for its size, but as a reminder of the devastation her playboy father had wrought during the years he sat behind it as the captain of Sky Industries. Sky's grandfather, the first C.J. Sky, started out as a young man with a small tool and die company. Over the course of five decades, he built a global corporation with interests in shipping, aviation, aerospace, energy, mining, defense, and electronics, and amassed one of the world's great fortunes. At its zenith, the sheer size and reach of Sky Industries drew a mixture of fear and envy from competitors and a disproportionate share of antitrust interest from the federal government. The founder of the Sky Dynasty had often joked that were it not for him, at least a third of the corporate attorneys in America would starve. The son turned out to be a pale echo of his illustrious father. When Charlie Sky finally took his place behind the imposing desk, he had inherited a vibrant corporate empire that he knew little about and cared for even less. Rumor had it that Charlie had enjoyed the pleasures of many women atop his father's island of mahogany, including the starlit second wife who bore C.J. It was even possible that she had even been conceived on its inlaid surface. Charlie Skye had drunkenly hinted as much on more than one occasion. Beyond the rumors, C.J. knew for a fact that for twenty years her father systematically looted Sky Industries, and when the authorities finally came for him, Charlie Skye ate a bullet at his desk rather than face prison. Having second thoughts? Moog asked. He stood beside the desk, studying both the monitor and his employer. About what? This time there's three men up there. Sky glanced over at her vice president of defensive systems. And you're wondering if I might not be man enough for the job? I never said that, C.J. That's the kind of crap I've been getting all my life. And you use it to your full advantage, Moog countered. Like those of many other captains of industry, C.J. Skye's office carried the trappings of both personal and professional glory. Models of Sky satellites and launchers were displayed with photographs of rockets thundering heavenward and politicians currying favor with the industrialist. In a place of honor stood Moog's favorite part of the collection, a model of Stormy Sky, 
the racing yacht that had reclaimed the America's Cup from Switzerland. The ship had the sleek lines of a thoroughbred, an object sculpted to fly through wind and water. Skye not only had financed the winning entry, but had captained the ship through one of the closest and most fiercely fought series of races ever held. What made the victory by this underdog historic was that Stormy Skye had won with an all-woman crew. A hint of a smile warmed Skye's lips. Moog was right. She'd used every advantage in her arsenal to build a profitable enterprise from the one small piece of her grandfather's empire that she'd been able to salvage after the fall. The rest of Sky Industries' corporate carcass had been butchered and sold off piecemeal to satisfy creditors and shareholders after the true extent of Good Time Charlie's financial chicanery came to light. If the Chinese want to play in the big leagues and take lucrative...